Chapter 14, Part 2 In the sermon series, The Gospel of John Spoken by Pastor Peter on Back in earlier this month, Jenny and I celebrated our 31 year dating anniversary <laughs> Alright, it's been a long time Man, was she a hottie? Look at her back then yeah, she's, she's even better now, but, uh, but let me just kind of break it down for you a little bit. We've been married for 24 years, and we dated for seven years, so that means 31. I just realized next, this 2024 is going to be a silver anniversary. Silver is 25 years of marriage. And so, you know, when I first met her in college, I didn't like her right away. It took some time, right? It took some time to get to know her. In fact, when I first met her, I was a little intimidated by her because her and her friends they were more Korean-speaking, and you know, Korean was their first language. And for me, English is my first language. And so I was a little insecure about hanging out with them because they all spoke Korean. But my roommate and some of my friends, they were always hanging out with them. They tried to drag me along with them, but I would say I didn't want to go. But finally, they started taking me out to it, and I started to get to know her a little bit. But I didn't like her right away. I really didn't. I just saw her as a friend. But there was this one day in the fall, late fall, probably like early November. She had gone home for the weekend to work at her parents' business, and she came back to school, and she parked her car, and in order for her to get to her dorm, she had to walk through the cafeteria, all right? And I was waiting to go in to the cafeteria for dinner, and as she was walking in, I saw her, and it, I'm telling you, it was like a movie. <laughs> Everything was slow motion. It was really windy that day. She just got her hair cut, and so when she opened the door, like her hair was blowing in slow motion, <laughs> and I looked at her, and I was like, Oh my gosh, she waved high at me and I was like, that's it. I fell in love with her literally at that moment. And I said, I got to do whatever I can to get to know her a little bit more. And so I started doing that. We started going to the library together to study, but we never really studied. We just kind of hung out and talked. We would eat together. I kind of knew her classes and when she would get out of certain buildings. And so if it lined up with mine, I'd like run over. I'd run real fast to kind of follow the path that she usually walks. And we would walk back to the dorm together. And so I was like so into her. But I was still so insecure about asking her, like what the role, what role she's gonna play in my life. Like I wasn't sure. I was afraid that she was gonna say, I just see you as a friend. And so I just waited. I waited, I kept daydreaming, I was excited, I was in love with her even more. And then finally on December 16th of 1992, I said to her, I said, what role are you gonna play in my life? <laughs> we were in the library studying for our finals. I said, what do you see? Where do you see this going? And she admitted her feelings for me, she reciprocated, and the rest is history, right? We dated, we got married, and everything else has been good ever since. And yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for that one person. <laughs> but you know, it is important for us to get to a place when we meet certain people in our lives, we need to know what role they're going to play in our lives. If you haven't done that, it uh, probably means that you're probably struggling in a lot of your relationships, but you need to be able to define the roles that certain people are going to play in your life. You don't have to do it with everyone, but the ones that you consider to be potentially important, you actually need to know what role they're going to play in your life. And if I were to ask you, what role does God and Jesus Christ need to play in your life? I think a lot of you will kind of be able to articulate it. We might not all come up with the same answers, but I think generally you kind of know we have a general understanding of how Jesus and God needs to play a role in our lives. But if I were to ask you what role is the Holy Spirit supposed to make in our, uh, play in our lives, the majority of us would have no clue. Because we often think the Holy Spirit is really an optional thing in our relationship with the Trinity, but it's not. 
In fact, today what Jesus is going to do is that he's going to share with us explicitly the three roles that the Holy Spirit has the potential to play in your lives. And it's going to be a game changer, I promise you. It really will. But in order for us to get there, you and I have to be committed to doing this one thing that Jesus says needs to happen in order for him to give us the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who gives us the Holy Spirit. We don't just ask the Holy Spirit to come upon us. We got to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you give us the Holy Spirit? Jesus says, if you want me to give you the Holy Spirit, if you want him to play a significant role in your life, you got to do this one thing first. What is that thing? And what, what is the role that the Holy Spirit can play in our lives? Turn, me, turn with me to John 14. We'll look at verses 15 to 31. John 14, 15 to 31. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world no longer see me. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you, I am going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I am going to the Father who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He's got no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. This is the word of God. Can we bow our heads for a moment of prayer? Jesus, I pray that you would come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come right now. Fall in this place. I bind any evil forces or evil spirits in this room right now and I send it to the foot of the cross. Be gone. And I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that uh, for so many here, I think, uh, the Holy Spirit has never really played a role in their lives. But today, I pray that you would remove the scales from the eyes and from our hearts. And God, that we would long, we would long to have the Holy Spirit play a significant role in our lives going forward. And so, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And it's in God's name that we say, amen. amen, amen. So what Jesus is talking about is even before he gets into the Holy Spirit here, he's saying that if you, really, if you really are committed, if you want the Holy Spirit to come upon you in any significant way, you and I have to be committed to loving him. That's really the one thing that Jesus expects from you and me. That if you want the Holy Spirit to have a significant role in our lives, 
Being committed to loving Jesus is absolutely important. Now, how do we love Jesus? All of you know this. We know that we are to love Jesus because we're followers of Jesus and we're Christian. We know this. But how do we do it? How do we stay committed to loving Jesus? Jesus says it's through obedience. That when you and I are committed to obeying Jesus' commands, it actually affirms that we love him. All right? It actually affirms that we love him. Look at verse 15 of John 14. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. All right, jump over to verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Verse 23, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and will come and make a home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who set me. The word obey appears three times here. And that's the key word here. It's this idea of us being committed to obeying the commandments of Jesus Christ. Remember two Sundays ago, Pastor Doug was here preaching, and he talked about heaven is not necessarily a place where we go to. It's like a house that we get to own. Heaven is a space where we get to go into the Father's house. And the reason why it's heaven is because he's present there. Remember that? That's what heaven is, a beautiful picture of what heaven looks like. Well, Jesus is saying this. He's saying that if you and I are committed to obeying his commandments, if we're committed to that, he says that he, the Father and even himself will make a home in our hearts, in our lives here on earth. Thus, that's why we say you can actually taste a little bit of heaven here on earth. If you and I are committed to obeying the commands of Jesus Christ, if we are committed to that, we can taste a little bit of heaven here on earth. Last Sunday, Dr. Rob Bremer was here and he talked about sin is simply defined as taking Jesus out of the center of our lives and throwing him to the margins of our lives and then we replace Jesus with ourselves, And we become the center. Remember when he said that? And he said the goal is for us to take ourselves out of the center and put Jesus back into the center. How do we do that? It's through obedience. That when you and I are committed to obeying Jesus Christ, that we are truly committed to encountering him in a beautiful, deep way. That's what it is. Now listen, why does Jesus want you to obey his commandments? Because he's king? Absolutely. But why? Is it because Jesus is this legalist and he just wants you to obey him? No. You know why obedience is so important? Because when you and I obey Jesus, when you obey somebody that you love, it connotes value. It connotes that you value this person so much that you will actually listen to them. That's why Jesus wants you to obey his commandments. That's why Jesus says explicitly, the ones who obey me are the ones who love me. That's why he's able to say, if you don't love me, it's because you don't obey me. So when we're not intentionally trying our best to obey Jesus Christ, you don't love him. And that's why many times we will come to the conclusion, we'll say to ourselves, there is no God. I don't believe in Jesus. Obviously, you don't believe in Jesus because if you're not making a conscious effort to try to obey him, of course, you're not encountering his love. And therefore, you'll come to the conclusion that Jesus this is not real. Does that make sense? And so obedience connotes value. When you love someone, when you really love someone, you will obey them. You really will. And it shows that you really value them in your life. My wife, Jenny, if you ever go into my house, I have a very small entranceway into my home. And so Jenny tells me that I am only allowed to have one pair of shoes in the entranceway. Right? Because if I have four pairs of my shoes, which I usually like to have about three or four pairs out there, I wear a size 12. I will cover the entire entranceway. So when people come over, they would have to step over my sneakers or my shoes in order to get to the house. 
She says to me, she says, you are the only one, really the only one that's allowed to have only one pair of shoes out there. I think that's unfair because my kids have three or four pairs of shoes out there. Jenny has two, three pairs at least out there all the time. Why am I the only one to have one pair? But you know what? I listen, I obey. Why? Because I value her. And if I don't listen to her, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> right? So I listen to her. I do it. Most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. Because I value her. I have three soulmates, these guys that I do life with, and we do one trip, and we try to take trips every year together. And um, I went to Jenny before we started taking these trips. I said to her, I said, what, how many times can I go with my soulmates to travel? We like to get on a plane, go somewhere, and just have some fun. And she says, well, you got three, so that means you can only go on one trip per person. Three, and that's it. I said, are you sure? She said, yeah. I said, okay. I go back, I tell my friends, and we do that once a year. One of my friends, he's a pastor, he's like, you know what? Let me talk to her for you. I think I can get her. I think I could sweet talk her to maybe do two, two trips, maybe three. I was like, I don't think it's going to work, but you can try. I know my wife. He goes, let me try. All right, he's a pastor. He's at my house one day, right, and he goes to her. He goes, Samonim, which means pastor's wife. He's trying to butter her up. He says, Samonim, is it okay if Peter can go on more than one trip with me? It's good because we get closer with God. We get closer to each other. It's really a time of bonding. And, you know, typically when a pastor or when somebody will say that to, like, a spouse, most people will respond by saying, well, you know what, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. You know, let me talk it over with Peter, and we'll let you know. Like, you, that's the normal response. Not for Jenny. She just looks at him and goes, no. And that's it. And he was like, man, your wife is so gangster, man. I had no idea she would just say flat out reject me like that. And he goes, I'm so scared of her. I'm never going to ask her for anything else in my life. What would happen if I took six trips a year? Because I felt like it was really important for me. What would happen? It would show that I don't value her. It would show that I don't value her and I don't really love her. And I just love my friends more than her. And she would probably start thinking that too. But I only go away three times a year with my friends because she told me that's it. My wife and I, uh, I talked to her a little bit. She's kind of shy to pray in public. And I'm, I'm like, why? Like, I mean, I, I understand maybe in public, but like, not with the kids? Like, how come you don't like praying in front of the kids and out loud and even like maybe with the family when we get together for meals? Like, how come you don't want to pray there? And we kind of unpacked it. And she said, well, it's because like when I grew up in the church, in the Korean church, people would judge you spiritually based on how you prayed out loud. And I said, oh, no, that's true. So I remember, man, it's like a competition in the Korean church. And when you pray out loud, they often determine, like, how spiritual you are. Like, my father, before he would, they would, he would come, he was an elder of a church, he would prepare, like, weeks in advance when he knew he had to go up and stand and pray in front of the church. So she, I think that was kind of, like, hard for her. But I said, you know, honey, no one's going to judge you. It's our family. I was like, I think it would be nice if you even pray with the extended family when we get together. And you know what? She's been doing it. She's been doing it, praying with the family, with our kids every night before we go to bed. And occasionally, not all the time, occasionally, she'll pray when all the family comes together. Why does she do that? Does she do it because she gets, ex she gets a lot of adrenaline when she does it? Does she do it because she really wants to do it? No. She does it because she values me. She values the relationship she has with me. And she, there's a sense of trust. And so she says, I'll do it. And she goes and she does it. You see, when you love someone, 
When you truly love someone, you will value them to a point where you will begin to listen, obey the things that they're asking you to do. It's a natural thing to affirm that you love them. When you and I are choosing to obey the commandments of Jesus, hear me on this, what you are saying and communicating, you're saying, Jesus, I truly value you. I really value my life so much that I trust deep in my heart that what you, what you want me to do, I know that you know what's best for my life. So I surrender myself to your care. That's what we're communicating to him. And so Jesus wants you to obey him, not because he's this legalist, but he does this because he knows that when you do, you're valuing him, you're going to be in this relationship with him, and you're going to be able to obey him in such a way where he's then going to pour out the Holy Spirit in your life. Now listen, you don't have to obey perfectly. You don't. He gives you room to make mistakes. I mean, that's what Peter is going to do in a couple chapters from now when he denies Jesus three times. Jesus doesn't expect perfection, but what he does expect is that you would really consciously make an effort on this last day of 2023 as you go into 2024 where you're going to say no more playing games anymore. I'm going to make a conscious effort, Jesus, in this upcoming year to obey your commands so that I can know the value that you have in my life, so that I can connect with your love in a deep and powerful way. That's why Jesus wants you to obey him. And so let me ask you, do you love Jesus today? Do you? Because if you do, my hope is that you will begin to take obedience seriously. And when you do fall in obedience to him, that you would actually ask Jesus to forgive you. Repentance is there for all of us. But get back up and say, I'm going to continue to do my best and obey him. Jesus says when we obey him, we love him. And when that happens, he gives us the Holy Spirit. So that's the key thing. We've got to be committed to obeying him. So then if we do that, what is the three roles that the Holy Spirit can play in our life? The first one is this. The Holy Spirit becomes our wise advocate. He becomes our wise advocate. Look at verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. Underline, he will never leave you. That's really great. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. That's an excellent translation in the Greek. That word in the Greek is parakletos, which means the English word in which we get the word paraclete. All right? And so in the first century in ancient times, a parakletos would often represent a person in court, would speak on their behalf and offer them wise counsel. That's the picture that you need to get here. That is what the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit will be our parakletos. He will be our advocate where he will advocate the very presence of God and the truth of God into our lives. That is the role of the Holy Spirit, that when you are committed to obeying Jesus Christ, when you obey his commands, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will advocate my presence and truth into your life. And that's key because we're going to forget the truth of God. We forget the truth of God all the time. I don't know about you, but my memory is terrible. I forget all the time. If you tell me a secret, I guarantee you it will stay a secret because I'll probably forget about it in a month. I mean, it's the truth. I forget all the time. And there's going to be so many times in our own life, you forget the truths of Jesus Christ. There are so many times in your life where you often even wonder, God, are you really here? Because I don't sense your presence. Jesus says that when you're committed to obeying him, the Holy Spirit's job is to advocate his presence and his truth. Look at verse 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he would teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit will teach us everything that Jesus Christ has taught us. 
And that's why when you go to the scriptures, we encourage you to read the Bible, and some of you read it without the Holy Spirit. And you can do that, but you won't get much. But if you involve the Holy Spirit, and if you pray and say, Holy Spirit, would you please speak God's truth? Can I connect with the presence of Jesus as I read this passage? I guarantee you, most often than not, it will happen. The Spirit will come. He's your advocate. Jesus says, if you are committed to obeying me the best you can, The advocate will be here, and he's going to communicate God's presence and his truth. And that is so, so key. Because what happens is that we forget God's truth all the time. We forget what it feels like to be in the presence of God. And so many of us, when we're going through a hard time, you know what the Holy Spirit will do? He'll give us the strength to endure and keep moving forward. That's what he's going to do. When you and I are willing not to forgive some people because they've really hurt us in our lives. You know what the Holy Spirit's going to do as your advocate? He's going to remind you of the truth that at one point in your life, you were actually unforgivable before God. But he still forgave you because of Jesus Christ. And because of that truth, it'll encourage you to forgive those that you deem to be unforgivable in your life. Amen? That's the role of the Holy Spirit, God's presence and his truth. And so because of that, it's going to protect you from living your life based upon lies. So many of us today, if you're going to be honest, you are living your life, not in the truth of God, but you're living your life believing in some of the lies that the enemy has caused you to believe to be true. For example, wealth and success, vocational success. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wealth and vocational success, okay? But for a lot of you, you actually believe that the pathway towards true fulfillment and happiness is to be rich and be very successful vocationally. You believe that so much that you actually disciple your children to do that, which is a shame because they believe and you believe that the American dream is God's dream. It's not. It's not. And the advocate will come upon you and speak to you the truth. I've met a lot of wealthy people in this church, outside this church over the years. And the reason why I know this, that it doesn't truly fulfill is because they all tell me it doesn't fulfill. Only Jesus can do that. And that's the truth. But you believe in that lie, especially if you don't have the money and you don't have the success. You believe in that lie. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you can like change your way of thinking in 2024 and say, I'm not, I mean, I'm going to do my best, but I'm not going to live my life for money. I'm not going to live my life for vocational excess. I'm going to live my life for Jesus Christ. And I'm going to allow the advocate, the Holy Spirit to help me to get there. Some of you believe in the lie that in order for you to be truly happy, everyone has to love you. But come on, man, you're not that likable. <laughs> I'm not that likable. We're not that likable as people, really. And if you're really serious about living for Jesus, you are not going to be liked by everyone. But for a lot of you, you would lose sleep if somebody didn't like you today. Because you're longing for the approval of other people. You're longing for their applause. And you cannot survive. You cannot live unless they like you. Unless they love you and think you're wonderful. And because of that, you know what it's done? It's fostered a level of insecurity in you that you cannot find your identity in being a child of God. Because so much of your identity is being liked and loved. And when you have the advocate, he'll speak to you the truth. And remind you that if people didn't like Jesus Christ, Listen, if there's anyone in the world, in the history of this world, that somebody should have been liked by everyone, it should have been Jesus. But he was not liked by everyone. In fact, it was the people of God that killed him and murdered him on the cross. And so if Jesus wasn't liked by everyone, 
Why are we living our lives to be liked by everyone? Let it go. The Spirit will teach us those things. Some of you single people today, you actually believe that your life is on hold until you get married. That's a lie. That is a true lie. That is such a lie of the enemy. He wants you to think that right now since you're single, you don't really have a life until you get married. No, that is a lie. Don't believe in that lie because if you believe in that lie, then you're literally going to put your life on hold and you're not going to be able to live the life that God may want you to live today. Your life as a single person is filled with completeness and wholeness. Amen? Because you ask any married person here, they'll tell you marriage doesn't fulfill like that. I love my wife, but she doesn't fulfill me like that. Honestly, she doesn't. It's Jesus Christ who can only fulfill me like that. You have everything you need, the singles community. You have everything you need to live your life perfectly for God right now. Don't wait till you get married. Because if you wait, you're not going to prepare yourself even for marriage if that happens for you. Live your life for God every day now. You have everything you need to live a fulfilled life right now. We better not live our lives in lies because when we do, we struggle. And that's why the Holy Spirit needs to play that role in our lives because the advocate will allow you to be graced with the presence of God. He will advocate God's presence and God's truth in your life. So many of you are living lies and you're deciding to live a life that affirms living it in a more sinful way than it does in a way that affirms God and allows you to live your life with peace and with wholeness. I love what uh, Paul says about the Holy Spirit, another reason why he's such an advocate for us. Look at what it says in Romans 8.26. He says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. When you and I are struggling, when we're going through a time of weakness, you know what the Holy Spirit will do? Sometimes we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit will pray for you with groanings that words cannot be expressed. That's the advocate. And that's what it means where the Holy Spirit can be your parakletos. But you and I have to be willing to obey him. Obey the commands of Jesus Christ. That's the first role that the Holy Spirit plays. The second role that the Holy Spirit plays is our intimacy facilitator with Jesus. The Holy Spirit plays uh, the role of the intimacy facilitator with Jesus Christ. Verse 18. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 23. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. How is, the, how is Jesus and the Father able to make a home in each and every one of us, it's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our intimacy facilitator. He allows us to draw closer to Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing in that. But the challenge for us is this. We have to go beyond just being social with Jesus Christ. So many of us, we're just social with Jesus. Right? Like a lot of us, I mean, I think most of us have plans for today, for New Year's. You have a lot of social friends that you like to party with and have fun with. But how many of you actually have friends that you can call when you're really struggling in life? How many of you have friends like that? We don't have many people like that. And that's why we're just naturally more social than we are relational, right? It's hard to be relational with people. And if it's hard to be relational with people that you can see, can you imagine how hard it is to be relational with a God that you can't see? Impossible almost, right? 
And so the goal is for us to be more relational with Jesus. So when it, what do I mean when, it, when you're more of a social Christian, when you only pursue Jesus for social reasons? You do it primarily just because you want Jesus to kind of come and fix some things in your life. Right? You seek him more for blessings as opposed to anything else. That's when you're being very social. You come to church in hopes that you, can very, that you can maybe meet some people and connect with some people. It becomes a very self-serving kind of a thing. That is what it means to be social with Jesus Christ. All right? A lot of us understand what that means. But Jesus wants us to go deeper than just being social with him. He wants us to be relational. And relationally, we are relational with Jesus when we are committed to obeying him in the small and in the big things in our life. That we are willing and committing ourselves to obey him in the small and even the big things in our life. And that's what it means to be really relational with Jesus Christ. That when Jesus actually speaks to us, that we're actually going to obey and listen to him. Look what it says in John 16, verses 13 to 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Jesus gives us a great description of the Holy Spirit. He's saying the Holy Spirit will only speak to you the words that I want him to speak to you about. And so you ever meet Christians when they say, you know what, Jesus told me to do this. And you're like, how come Jesus never tells me to do anything? Well, how come Jesus doesn't ever really speak to me? Part of that is because the Holy Spirit maybe has not played that kind of role in your life. The Holy Spirit's function, one of its main function, is to communicate to you what Jesus wants to communicate to you about. That is one of its main function. And so you and I have to get to a place where we have to be open to hearing the things of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When you hear Jesus, when you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, the key thing to this is you got to obey. Because if you don't obey, you're not going to hear from him anymore. It just happens, right? It just happens. When you continue to just say, I'll, I want to hear from you, and you hear, but you don't do it, and you don't obey, then you probably will never hear from him much again. Obedience is critical in order for us to get there. Intimacy with Jesus happens when you and I are willing to hear from the Holy Spirit, and we are willing to obey the things he's calling us to do. I don't think any of us would be here if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit speaking powerfully to Peter in Acts chapter 10. Remember that story when Peter was up on the roof and he was praying and the Spirit started speaking to him? That was a significant moment for Peter, right? Peter was on that roof, he was hungry. And when you're hungry, what happens? You think and you daydream about food all the time. That's what was happening to Peter, he was thinking about food. And as he was thinking about food, the Spirit, Jesus was speaking to him and he was showing these unclean meats and animals to eat. And Jesus says through the Holy Spirit, eat, Peter. And Peter says, certainly not I, Lord, because I've never eaten anything unclean. And Jesus says through the Holy Spirit, he says, Peter, come on. Don't you dare call anything unclean that I've already made clean. It was a paradigm shift for Peter. Why was that so critical? Because then Jesus says, hey, somebody's here to see you. You need to go to Cornelius' house. And he eventually goes there because at that point, every Jewish person and Peter, and, the, and if you study the early church, before Acts chapter 10, Jewish Christians like Peter and the apostle, they only believed that Jewish people could be Christians. They never believed Gentiles were afforded the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. 
And so that vision and what he saw, and when the Holy Spirit said, go to Cornelius' house, was critical because when Peter went there, what did he do? He prayed for Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and his family. And what happened? The Spirit fell, baptized that family in the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. It was just powerful. And Peter was like, oh my gosh, Gentiles can be Christians. I'm so grateful for Peter's obedience because we may not even be here today if it wasn't for that obedience. See how important obedience is? to the things in which Jesus is speaking to us. Listen, when you have that kind of intimacy with Jesus, at the end of the day, honestly, it's all you need in life. It's really all you need in life when you have that kind of intimacy with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is our advocate, God's presence and truth, but he also is the intimacy facilitator with Jesus Christ. And then the last thing that the Holy Spirit is, the last role that he plays, he's our peace giver. The Holy Spirit is our peace giver. Verse 27, you guys are gonna like this the most, I think. Verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. This is a good one, right? The Holy Spirit gives us peace. I'm so glad with our minds and with our hearts. We need both. You can't just have one without the other. You need both. That when you are committed to obeying Jesus Christ, Jesus gives us the spirit and the role that it plays that he will give you peace. Peace can only be given to us by God. In fact, salvation, one of the great gifts of salvation is two things. I'll talk about the other one next week. The first one is peace. The second one is joy. And those are not circumstantial. You don't have to have certain things happen in your life in order for you to have peace and joy. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. Honestly, nothing has to change in your life today and you can still have peace and joy. Do you believe that? That nothing has to change in your life today in order for you to have joy and peace in your life today. Jesus says that this is the peace that the world cannot give. It's only the peace that I can give. So don't worry. Don't be troubled and don't be afraid. But a lot of us, we worry all the time. We worry so much about the different things that are happening in your own lives. I don't know about you, but I worry all the time. I'm going to share with you a whole list of things that I worry about constantly. We naturally worry. And that's why a lot of us, we ask for prayer because there's so many different things that we worry. And I get it. There are so many things that we worry about, especially when you think about what's happening in our world today. I mean, there's so many wars that are going on in this world. So many unjust wars that are happening. In 2024, we're going to enter into another heated election process for president. It's going to happen, right? And we don't know what's going to happen to our country as a result of this. Things could be difficult again. It can be really hard in, uh, in this next election period. Some of us, you're struggling financially, maybe through unemployment, and you're struggling in such a way that you're wondering if you're going to be able to make it. And so you worry that you're not going to be able to pay your bills. You worry that you're not going to be able to pay for your kid's college. You worry and you're anxious about these things. It happens, right? I get it. Some of us are so worried that our marriage is never going to be okay. That you've hit a dead end and that's it. And so you're so worried about it. And so as a result, you've decided to just kind of give up. Nothing has to change in order for you to have peace and joy. Some of you single people, like I said before, you don't ever believe you're going to be truly fulfilled, feel like you live the life of completion until you get married. And I'm telling you right now, Nothing has to change for you to feel complete, to have this peace in your life because Jesus Christ is here and he wants to offer it to you and to me. 
A lot of us, man, it's, I've, I've, I've done this at times, and then there's people that I know who do this, but even though they have moments of happiness, they can't even be happy for a long period of time because it's sabotaged by their word that it's not going to last. Like, this is only temporary. It's going to get bad one day. I know it's going to happen. And so you're so worried. There's a peace that Jesus has for you, a peace that doesn't mean that things have to change in your life in order for you to have this peace. It can come to you right now if you trust in the Lord and you obey his commandments. It's the peace that Jesus wants for you and for me today, and he wants to give it to you. I mean, that's why for Paul, Paul didn't get out of prison before he wrote one of the greatest books on joy, which is Philippians. Paul was in prison when he penned those words about joy. He, he came up with a book of joy while he was suffering for God in prison. He didn't have to get out of prison before he wrote that. While he wrote it while he was in it because he still had the peace that this world cannot understand. And so I know there are things that worry you today. I know there's some things that worry. Some of you are actually legit worried about your children. As they get older, like when they're young, you don't really worry because their lives center all around you. But as they get older and they become adults, some of you are really worried about the choices that they're making or the choices that they've made before, and it worries you about the choices that they're going to make in the present and in the future. I get that. But Jesus says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit can give you peace today. And that's my hope and prayer, that if you are truly committed to obeying Jesus in 2024, God is going to bless you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your advocate. You're going to get more intimate with Jesus Christ, and you're going to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Worry is a part of my family. It's, unfortunately, it's our script that was given to me when I was born. My mother is a constant worrier. And, and I've said to her, and you know, immigrant parents, I think this is natural for a lot of immigrant parents, but my mother was born during the Korean War, and so it's a lot of different hardships, didn't have parents growing up. And so she's always worrying. And it's to the point now where actually worry, I tell her it's become her friend, a friend that she doesn't like, but it's her friend nonetheless because I feel like she can't function in life until she worries. And so unfortunately, that's really trickled down to me. So I worry. I worry a lot. I worry more than you know, right? Can I share with you some of my worries? I worry about this church. One of the things I worry about is our Christmas offering. <laughs> you think those 10 weeks are easy? From, Christmas, from Thanksgiving Sunday to the end of January? Man, it's painful for me. I wonder, I'm like, how are we going to ever get to the goal that we've set for ourselves, right? And so every Friday morning, we have our prayer group on Friday mornings, and, we all, and Christmas offering is always in the prayer list. And just in case, I'm just, I, I don't want people to forget about it. And I want to make sure we pray about it on Friday. So I always pray. I'm the one that's always praying for the Christmas offering, just in case, making sure. I worry about that. I worry about the Christmas offering. I worry about our budget every year. I worry if we're going to ever meet it. Right? And a part of that is because some of like the PTSD that I had in the past when we didn't have any money and we were really struggling in the red and we thought about even laying off some staff. So because of that, I worry about it. I do. Right? I worry if our goal for 2024 is the Holy Spirit to really fall upon this church. I really, but I worry that it's not going to happen. You know, I worry about that because I'm hoping and praying that the Spirit will come and baptize you in a deep way. Right? One of the ways that we're going to make that happen is that we're going to have a Holy Spirit conference in September. Rob Reamer, who was here last Sunday, he's going to do a Holy Spirit conference on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll get you the dates. Please put it on your calendar and come and be a part of it. We're, going to, we're not going to say we just want this to happen. We're going to give you opportunities where you can encounter the Holy Spirit in deep and powerful ways. But I worry that it's not going to happen. I worry that many of you won't encounter the power of the Spirit in your life. I worry about that. I worry about Liberty School. 
All right, for many of you who've been a part of this church, for us, we never wanted to build a church building. That was never our thing. I didn't want to spend millions of dollars building a church building. I, I, I felt like God was leading us to build a community center for Englewood because it's the greatest need of the city. And so my dream was that God would use us to do that. And so it's been about six years since we've been sort of in that process. We presented a plan to the city, and it's just been like in this process of we don't know, maybe, we're not sure, and it's hard. I worry that it's never going to happen. I worry about a few things. I worry about what happens if they say yes. I worry about that because I have to raise a lot of money. Right? So I'm like, golly, that's going to be tough. But then I worry about what, what's going to happen if they say no. What happens now? And then I worry about what happens if they keep just saying maybe. And that's a dangerous place. I just want them to say yes or no. So I worry about Liberty School. I worry about my kids. I worry that they're going to live their life, their adult life, not hungering for the presence of God. I really worry about that. And I pray for them every day. I pray that no matter what happens, I say, I just ask for one thing, God, that they would hunger for your presence every day. And parents, that could be the greatest prayer you pray for your child, especially as they're young. Pray that they would hunger for the presence of God. Don't pray that they'll go to a good school, all that stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. Worry desire for them to grow up as adults and they would hunger for God's presence. I worry about who they're going to marry one day. I worry about that. I do. I worry about my sister Susan who's going blind. Doctor said that she's for sure going to go blind. We don't know when, but she will go blind. I worry about that. And I worry about telling my mom about it next week because I have to tell her. She doesn't know. She was in Korea when we found out. And so now that she's back, and I know how much my mom worries, I'm worried about how she's going to respond and how she's going to react to this news next week. I worry about that, right? I worry about my other sister who's really struggling in her marriage right now, and it's really awful. I worry about that. This is just a small sample of the things that I'm worried about, guys. And I'm telling you right now, I am filled with worry. I am. And if I didn't have the Holy Spirit, I don't think I would be able to get out of bed. I don't think I could even come and even speak to you and have a sane mind. But the only reason why I'm able to have some semblance of peace in the midst of all the things I'm worried about is because Jesus is here and he's present and I get to give him all of my worries, all of my burdens, and I get to give it to him. And when I give it to him, he gives me peace in exchange. And that's why he says, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because you have me. And I don't know how, how things are going to pan out and any of the things I just told you I'm worried about. But at the end of the day, I have peace because I have Jesus Christ. So what are you worried about today? Are you going to just let it keep killing you like this? Are you going to let the enemy just steal all the joy and the peace in your life because of your worry? Jesus says if you are committed to obeying him, loving him, he's going to give you peace. The Holy Spirit will be your peace giver. He'll give you peace in your mind and in your heart. And I pray today that before you leave here that you would encounter the very peace of Jesus Christ in your life. I pray that you will allow the Holy Spirit to bring you a little closer to becoming more intimate with Jesus Christ. And I pray that you allow the Holy Spirit to advocate God's truth and his presence in your life today. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer.
I'm going to give you an opportunity now to just give God your worries. Jesus is here. What are you worried about? Do you realize that you can do nothing? Nothing will change if you just keep worrying about it. So I'm going to let you just surrender it to God. And I know for some of you, you have legit worries. They're actually really legit. So I'm not minimizing the things that you're worried about. I know they're important. But Jesus is offering you peace today. If you would just give it to him. Will you make a conscious decision today to say, Lord, I'm going to obey your commandments. I'm going to start believing that your ways are so much better than my ways and it leads to true life. And that you would be committed to that. And not only committed, but you'd be bold about it in 2024. So let me just give you a few moments to do it, to go to God, give him your worries, make a commitment to obey him, obey his commandments. And then I'll just close this in prayer. So let's go to him in prayer. reminded of that story when you were sleeping on the boat and there was a, a storm where the gale force winds was battering the boat. The disciples were terrified that they were going to die. They couldn't believe you were sleeping in the midst of that. And when they woke you up to help them, you said, oh, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And you calmed the storms. Lord, there are some people here today and the storms are tough. 2023 was hard. And God, I pray that if they've had the faith to give you their burdens right now, I pray that they would hear you say, oh, you have little faith. Don't be so worried. I got you. And so, Lord, we embrace John 16, 13, when you say, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you on this last day of the year. For those of you who have truly made that effort, Lord, I pray you would watch over them. I pray for those who have said that I'm going to commit to obeying the commands of Jesus. God, I pray that you would help them to develop such affection for your commandments. May it become a magnificent obsession, God. And through that, Lord, I pray that they would constantly be in your presence. They would be reminded of your truth. They would hear you speak to them, God, and they would have peace even in the midst of hardships and worry in their lives. And so, God, I pray that you would be with them. I pray that you would guide them. I pray that you would be with us as a church. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be an intimate, intimate God in our lives this upcoming year for this church. 
And I just pray for you if you're here and you have so much worry right now. Jesus sees you. He hears you. And he loves you. Obey him. And he'll give you peace that surpasses all understanding. He'll be present with you to give you strength to endure the season in your life. He'll help you to move forward. So God, be with those few that might be here today that are so overwhelmed with grief, where they're living a Gethsemane moment in their lives. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to go back for prayer today and receive prayer from one of our pastors or our elders. Um, I do encourage you to go back and receive prayer for them today. And so, Lord, just be with our church. We thank you so much for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.